Habakkuk is not content as he is having this argument with God to just ignore what's happening and go on about his daily life. He's not saying, well, I'm going to go back and, you know, I got to go to the market this afternoon. And I got laundry to do tonight. And by the way, I got relatives coming in tomorrow. So, so God, if you could get back to me in three days, a couple hours, the mid afternoon on Friday, that, that would be perfect. I'm available. I'll be waiting for you. He says, no, I'm stopping everything. God, this, this is, this is so important that I've got to hear from you. Because I don't have the human wisdom to understand what in the world you are doing. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor, Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Habakkuk chapter 1, that's where we'll be in just a moment. Started last week, um, Habakkuk, a faith that shines in the darkness. And you want to hear a surprise? The sermon series has already grown by one sermon since last week. Anybody surprised by that? I, I told you three or four. We're now looking at four or five. I'll let y'all do with that piece of information, whatever you want. But as you turn there, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Minor in that it is designated that way by length, not by importance. But three chapters is minor compared to 66 chapters of Isaiah. So he is one of the 12 minor prophets. And what we discovered last week is what made his prophecy interesting is the conversation and the dialogue that he is having with God. Specifically, he is complaining to God about what God is doing. And this morning, in just a minute, we'll pick up with his second complaint. So as you turn there, let me remind you that a couple weeks ago, we commemorated uh, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Every one of us here this morning can tell you exactly where we were and what we were doing what, that, that day. That was, we were back in country between Romania and Russia, and I was in a uh, teacher training event, and we were on a break, and I was walking down the hall in the central office, and uh, one of the janitors, uh, she came up to me, and she's just like, I can't believe what happened, that we're under attack in the F-16. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I don't even know if you're talking to me. And you know, somebody tells you something, you're like, that person's touched, maybe, or something. You, you just you try to think why, why? And, and I do this anyway when people talk to me, so you know that I don't know. I'm just like, why are you talking to me? And I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. I, I, I do. If I don't know you, and you walk up to me and you start talking to me, I'm just like, great. Um, I do. Just had it happen the other day, and I was like, I don't, I thank you. Just because we're in a hospital does not mean I want to hear your medical history in the elevator, and I'm not telling you mine. Um, you, you know, but good talking to you. But I walked back to the classroom, and, and that's just the way I am, Sue. I'm sorry. 
Well, yeah, and I'm the pastor. Yeah, yeah, I'm the pastor at Red Paint, but leave me alone. Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. The, 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 medical, the medical issues is a divide. That's a bridge for me. That's hard. Uh, y'all, y'all know this. Don't be shocked by that. Right? But y'all remember the time. We, I walked back to the classroom, and, and, and there it is on TV, and you're going, what happened? And you, and you remember that, that, that pause between the first one and the second one? The first one was disbelief. How could a pilot make a mistake? The second one, it became clear it wasn't a mistake. Right? And, and that day... Uh, we watched over 3,000 Americans die. A couple weeks ago, not political statement, you saw what happened as American and other people were trying to pull out of Kabul with a terrorist detonating a suicide vest and killing 13 American armed force soldiers, and I forgot what the eventual death count was of civilians. And the reason I bring this up is because I want you to understand this second complaint. Imagine now, 20 years on, you're praying, and you're looking at God and going, God, I see all this unrighteousness. I see it in the political realm. I, I, I see it in just the moral realm, the confusion about morality that is out there. I, I, I see this confusion and the unrighteousness in, in your church. And as a pastor, that's hard to say, but it's, it's, it's there. And you sit there and you say, God, you see it, but you're quiet. You're allowing it to happen. How long, oh God? And you're sitting there and you're praying, and all of a sudden God says, you know what, I hear you, and you're right. Everything you've said is correct. And my plan to fix that is to use Al-Qaeda or the Taliban to chastise the nation, and my people. What do you say next to God who has told you that? Every one of us right now, just hearing that illustration, I'll be honest, I I wrestled all week whether or not to use that illustration. Because as soon as we hear it, we know the objections, do we not? Not one of us, I think, after hearing God speak like that, it's going to be, Okay, God, your will be done in earth as it is on heaven, right? None of us is going to make that prayer. What are we going to do? We're going to immediately come back to God and go, God, I've got another complaint. And if that's how you feel this morning, that is exactly how Habakkuk felt. After he comes to God, lodges his initial complaint, And God says, I hear you, you're right. By the way, there's a nation over here called Babylon. They're wicked and they're evil, and I'm going to use them to answer all your prayers. So Habakkuk says, "Um, to that I have a few more questions and a couple complaints, God. And when we get to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, 
down to verse 1 of chapter 2, we see his complaint. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offspring to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, we're going to dive into this, exactly what Habakkuk says. But basically, he comes at God and says, your plan is wrong. I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to go over here and sit down until you tell me why, it's, why you're going to do what you're going to do. So he comes to, Habakkuk comes to God. Just two points this morning and a couple sub-points. And number one, he, he argues against God's plan. You read this second complaint, it is an argument against God's plan plan. He doesn't like it. And what Habakkuk is going to do is he's not going to go back and make his argument based on his, meaning Habakkuk's own wisdom. He's going to go back and he's going to use what he knows about God, what God has revealed to himself to his people and use that argument against God. So he comes and he says, God, your plan violates your purity. God, your, your plan violates your purity. He says, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God, how, how can you look at it? Your eyes are pure. We know that you are pure. And when he talks about his eyes, he, he's really referring to the, the, the embodiment of God, to all of God. He's just using that. As the illustration, at the same time, we know that if evil is occurring, the, the easiest way to see that it's occurring is through your eyes. It comes in through your eyes, right? He goes, so God, you're in heaven. You're looking down with pure eyes, and you're looking on this evil. You're looking on what is happening. But how? How, how are, are you doing this? Because you're pure, and in fact, God, and if you go back and you look through the books of Exodus and you look at the, the book of Deuteronomy, what you will find out is that God, in discussing the, the ceremonial religious laws, you see a God who made pr uh, purity critically important. Right? You, you just look at it. He says, your, your sacrifice is to be pure. Right? You're supposed to bring a lamb without what? Spot, without blemish. In other words, you, you don't bring me some genetically deformed sheep. You bring me the pure sheep. 
The, the garments on the priesthood were supposed to be linen and, and white and pure. The priest, as they were going to make the sacrifice, the priest was supposed to be pure. As much as possible, the hearts of the, the person making the sacrifice was supposed to be pure. And if you weren't pure, if you were covered in evil or you were bringing a, a blotted uh, uh, sacrifice, God said, I'm not going to accept it. You do not approach me in impurity. Habakkuk looks at God and says, Hey God, you've made purity very important. You've declared that it must be so to approach you. Yet you sit on your throne and you look down and you're looking at evil. How are you doing that? How, how are you doing that? You're, you're looking at this and you know what's happened and you know that, that we're, just, we're going to be swallowed up by the people who are not pure. I mean, I know we're not the bastions of righteousness at the moment, Lord, but come on. Surely, in a simple comparison of pros and cons, of righteousness and unrighteousness, we come out looking better than the Babylonians. You're going to use them? And at the same time, what's maybe not very obvious there, but what else Habakkuk is saying to God about making pure, he's actually making God guilty and saying, God, you need to be sentenced. Listen to this verse from Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1 says, If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjudication to testify. And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak. Okay, let me translate that for you. You see something happen that is wrong. You see somebody go steal somebody's donkey. And you witness it. And then you don't say anything, okay? That's the setup. You know what happens? This is how the verse ends. He shall bear his iniquity. You see somebody not stealing, seeing somebody steal the donkey and you don't say anything, you're as guilty as the person who stole the donkey. Habakkuk looks at God and says, you're looking on all this evil. You're supposed to step up and do something. You're supposed to step up and testify. You're just letting it happen. You're just as guilty. How pure are you, God, that you're allowing this to happen because you're just sitting by and idly watching and remaining silent while we're utterly destroyed. God, your plan violates your purity. God, your plan also violates your righteousness. You talk about being a, a, a righteous, righteous God. You say right there at the end of verse 13, the man more righteous than he. We, we talk about you being righteous, and, and to be righteous means to be morally right. God, you gave us laws that said these are the morally right, right laws based on who I am. The laws that we have, the righteous laws that we have, flow because God is a moral, righteous God. And so, God, you need to act. We're told that you don't change, that you're the same. Then why aren't you acting in a manner consistent with being morally right? Why are you using unrighteous people? Why are you doing this? 
mean, it's not difficult to see that they're not righteous. It's not difficult to see that they're not morally right. Yeah, these are the ones that, that, that you, you try? Again, he, he said, I mean, look, he says, the man more righteous than he is, surely God. He goes back to it again. Surely we're more righteous than them, and we deserve better from our righteous moral God. But you're going to use these, uh, this, this plan, all right, this, this, this plan of yours, it, it just it, it violates your righteousness. You can't do that. But then he kind of wraps it all up and says, this plan violates your essence. And what I mean by that, just, yes, God is all pure. Yes, God is all righteous. But also, it just, it just violates who God is. Kind of taking the totality of God as one. He says in verse 14, he says, look, you're making us like the fish of the sea. You're, 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 you're inflicting more humiliation on us by making us no better than mindless fish that are swimming aimlessly with, without a leader or, or someone to protect them. You're supposed to be leading us. You're supposed to be our protector. Have you forgotten us and now we're no better than fish? <laughs> that, that we're just going to be swallowed up? I mean, I mean, come on, God. You've got to do something. You, you can't remain silent. You cannot use a plan that violates your essence. And then he goes on in verses 14 through 17. He says, just in case you don't understand, and he uses that fishing analogy, he goes, let me remind you how brutal the Babylonians are. They're, 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 they're brutal. Now, when you read verses 14 through 17, it is a fishing analogy, but there's much more to the analogy. Because behind the analogy is what the Babylonians actually would do. He says in verse 15, he says, He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his net. Do you know how the Babylonians transported their captives back to Babylon? They would take a great big hook and they would hit the lower lip of their captives. Just like when you fish... And you hook a fish. And they would line them up. They would have these chains that they would run through the hooks. And then they would just lead them through all the land pulling on that chain. And if that wasn't enough, sometimes just to humiliate them, they would put them in a net and, and pull them behind horses or chariots in, in the net and just, just drag them back. Th this is how, how brutal... They are. But Habakkuk in kind of just a offhand comment. <laughs> Verse 15. He says, he brings all of them up. Hey, but I guess we ought to at least be glad that they don't, you know, they're equal opportunity, brutal people to whoever they come across. They don't spare some and let others go. They just look at everybody and go, all of you get the fishing hook. God, these are the people you're using? And it's not enough that they're brutal. He says, do you know how immoral they are? He says, he gathers them in their dragnet, so he rejoices 
and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. <laughs> this, is, this is just amazing. Earlier we read, if you remember that, that in verse 11, as God was talking, he, he says that the Babylonians have a God. And it says that their own God, in verse 11, is their might, whose own might is their God. So here's what they've done now. In verse 16, Habakkuk has actually described them as worshiping their own might, worshiping their brutality. He's using deliberately sacrificial language to get God's attention. God, you call us to make sacrifices to you because you are a holy, righteous God, and we come to you in, in pure hearts and pure animals and pure garments, and we make these sacrifices to you as you have called us to do so that we can be righteous people. But here we have this horrible, brutal, unrighteous people who are now worshiping and sacrificing to their brutality. Instead of us bringing a, a lamb to make the sacrifice, God, we're now the sacrifice. They sacrifice us and, and worship. How, how is that right? And God, as they come in and they take us, it says in the end of verse 16, they, they live in luxury and His food is rich. God, when they come in and they pull us out, they now use us to make their lavish lifestyles to live in luxury. Right? When the person would make a sacrifice, the, the priest would get some, or, or God would get some, the priest would get some, and the person making the sacrifice would get some. That's how it worked. Here Habakkuk is saying, they're, they're coming to make a sacrifice, but you're not getting any. We are the sacrifice, and they're taking everything and living in a life of luxury off our labors, off our backs, off what we had. And they thank God that they are now righteous. They have actually gone so far as to make their brutality a righteous act that requires sacrifice and feasting. And as Habakkuk brings that up, he goes, God, they're really just making a mockery out of you and your, your laws. God, these are the people you're using? And then he says, by the way, they're unrelentingly evil. Right? They're, they're, they're just evil. That's what he says in verse 16. They keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. They pull in their net, they empty them out, they sacrifice them, they feast off of them, they throw the net over and do it again and again and again and again. They enjoy their endless cycle of brutality. That they will kill one after another, after another, after another. God, th th these are evil people. To see how stunning this complaint is against God. You know the story of Genesis 4. Genesis 4 records the first murder in the Bible. Where, where Cain rose up against his brother Abel and, and kills him. It's really not until the New Testament to 1 John 3.12 that we get Why? I mean, we get some glimpses in, in Genesis 4. God says, look, if you would do what is right, would you not be accepted? Right? Cain 
was, was not making the right sacrifice Abel was. And it had nothing to do with, with food versus animal. 1 John 3.12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers are righteous. So do you see what Habakkuk is doing here? He's saying they're mercilessly killing and murdering people. And if Cain was of the evil one because he rose up and murdered his brother, then how much more is an entire nation of the evil one who is now rising up and murdering the righteous people who belong to you? God, these are the people you're going to use? Now, if you ask me at this point, Habakkuk's one, right? If I'm sitting on the throne and I got Habakkuk over here making his, his defense and God on the other side, I'm, 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 I'm dropping the hammer and going, Habakkuk, you win. God, you're guilty. Because not one time did Habakkuk appeal to his own wisdom. He kept going back to God and saying, God, this is who you are, and yet you're doing this. God, this is who you are, and you're using unrighteous people. God, this is who you are, and you're using evil people. How could you do this, God? But in verse 1 of chapter 2, you really get a glimpse of Habakkuk's faith. Because he says to God, I'm going to wait for your answer. Habakkuk 2.1 is God waiting for the answer. Now, he's a little, his waiting is a little bit audacious, to be perfectly honest with you. Because he comes to God and he says, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen. I know you're going, you're going to respond, but I'm going to tell you what, God. I've already complained to you once. You told me what you were going to do. That was horrible. I complained to you a second time. I'm imagining your response isn't going to be any better. So I'm going to sit over here and wait. And while I wait, I'm going to go ahead and prepare my defense to lodge a third complaint at you. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's pretty bold in doing that. But there's something in Habakkuk's waiting and that is, he knows that God's going to answer. He, he, he knows that God is going to answer. Why? Because he knows that God is a God who speaks. And basically what Habakkuk is doing, he's going, all right, I've lodged these complaints. I know that you're a God to speak. Go ahead, I dare you. Speak. Tell me what your wonderful plan is. But until you do, he says, I'm going to go climb the watch post and station myself on a tower, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait for you. Now, a watchman, he, he had the responsibility to look out over the city. If you were in the city, uh, it was walled off. The watchman would climb the city so they could look out over the fields and the plains and, and, and see if anybody was invading 
And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to act as not just the physical protector of the city, but I'm going to go out here and act as as the the prophetic mediator of the people to God. And I'm going to go take my stand because I'm going to wait for you to speak so that I can speak to the people to understand what is going on. I'm going to be out here above, out here on the watchtower. I think it's also a little metaphorical because we know that, that God's ways is above my ways, and I can't help but wonder if Habakkuk climbed the tower thinking, well, I'll get a little bit closer to you so that when you speak, I can hear more clearly. Now, I don't know if he did that or not, but I, I, I do think that might be a point there. But he says, I'm going to wait. Now, there's a lot in that. Habakkuk is not content as he is having this argument with God to just ignore what's happening and go on about his daily life. He's not saying, well, I'm going to go back and, you know, I got to go to the market this afternoon. And I got laundry to do tonight. And by the way, I got relatives coming in tomorrow. So, so God, if you could get back to me in three days, a couple hours, the mid-afternoon on Friday, that, that would be perfect. I'm available. I'll be waiting for you. He says, no, I'm stopping everything. God, this, this, is, this is so important that I've got to hear from you because I don't have the human wisdom to understand what in the world you are doing. I need you to speak to me. My life, the life of your people, the nation life, depends on what you are about to say, God, and what you are doing So he waits because he recognizes he is entirely dependent on God's Word when he speaks. The same is true for us today. We are entirely dependent on God's Word, not ours. And sometimes we must wait for God to speak, but sometimes we lodge the complaint, then we refuse to wait. We want God to come back on our schedule instead of doing what Habakkuk does and take up a a position on the tower and say, I'm going to be right here, God, until you answer me. Even though we know and we take great joy knowing that God will answer, we have to wait. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait. But then he makes one more statement. Gives you another glimpse of his faith. He says, I'm going to submit myself to your answer. I'm going to submit myself to your answer. The last verse, or the last sentence in verse 1 says, and what I will answer concerning, there's a question of whether it is complaint or whether it is rebuke. It's a very small difference between those two words in the Hebrew. And I think the word rebuke is a better translation. Because Habakkuk knows. What did Habakkuk just do? He just challenged God up and down on every level. At the same time, Habakkuk is a man of faith who doesn't understand exactly what is going on and is not willing to lean on his understanding. And he said, God, your essence, your purity, your righteousness is all at stake. Yet, I am probably missing something. And so while I wait for your answer, I'm going to wait knowing that it's probably going to be a rebuke. That I've probably made a conclusion somewhere that isn't correct. Now, 
I find this amazing because God's already agreed with him, didn't he? God agreed with him. So what has Habakkuk really leveled against God that God wouldn't agree with? Yet Habakkuk has enough faith to recognize, and I think this is important. Okay, This is one of those silly sentences that I think is really important. Habakkuk knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know. Habakkuk knows that God is pure. He knows that God is righteous. He knows that God is moral. He knows that God speaks. He knows that God hears. He knows that they are God's people. He knows that God is working in the world. He knows that God has a plan. He knows all of that. Habakkuk then says, but I don't know for the life of me what you're doing. Sometimes it's really good for us to know what we don't know. And Habakkuk confesses that. He goes, I don't know what you're doing because everything that I see, everything that I just listed over here contradicts everything with what you just said you were going to do. So God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait. And you're probably going to rebuke me and that's fine. But when you do, by the way, I'm coming back at you with complaint number three. So God, here I am waiting for you to answer. I'm waiting for your rebuke. I'm waiting for you to guide me. I'm waiting for you to direct me. Here I am. I'm going to wait. What do we do in those moments? What do we do in those moments when we lay this out to God and we talk to God and we say, God, this is, this is what's happening This is who you are. This is everything that I know. And we go back to Scripture and we read, God, it says you are this, and God, you are this, and God, you are this, and God, here's a promise that you've made to us. Here's a promise. Here's a promise that you've made that that won't occur to us. And we go down through and we make list after list after list after list of what we know according to God's Word. And then we turn around and go, but God, for the life of me, I don't know what you're doing. What's the answer? What's the answer? Well, the answer is to do exactly what Habakkuk did. To climb up on the watchtower and wait. Now, I know none of you like that answer. I don't either. I, I, I don't like it. I don't want to wait. I want to know. I want to know now. Tell me now. Now, I don't have time. i got something else to do. i got to be somewhere else. Tell me now so I know what to do. None of us likes that answer. That is the answer, though. Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait so that I will understand. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Sounds a lot like what Habakkuk is doing, does it not? That he's, he's trusting in the Lord. He's, he's not leaning on his understanding. He's already demonstrated he doesn't know. But he says, I'm going to trust in the Lord, because He will make it known, and He will make the path straight. Now when you read that verse, there is a critically important order. 
that speaks to what Habakkuk is doing and speaks to us today. Which word comes first? Trust or understanding? Just in case you forgot. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Which comes first? Faith. Faith precedes understanding. Habakkuk says, I'm faithful. And we're looking at his faith shining in a dark time. He says, God, I've got faith in you. I'm putting my faith out there. Now take me down the path so that I will understand. Make the path straight so that I will know and understand what you are doing. But until you come and make that path straight, God, I'm going to wait in faith and in trust, trusting in who you are, what you've revealed, and what you've said, than what I think I know. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We place our faith and trust in God, and we wait for Him to speak, which is exactly what the prophet Habakkuk did. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.